Hello, HCI learners. Welcome to another episode of Nine to Thrive HR, a podcast for the most pressing issues facing talent management today, a podcast that allows you to hear from experts and practitioners in the field. I'm Holly Pennebaker, HCI's digital content program manager and your host for today. If you're listening on iTunes, please be sure to give us a rating. It helps other talent-minded people discover the program. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Lindsay McGregor and Neil Doshi. Together, they authored the New York Times bestseller, Prime to Perform, How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of Total Motivation. Lindsay is CEO and co-founder of Vega Factor, a startup building technology to help organizations transform their cultures. She worked with large Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, universities, and school systems. She received her BA from Princeton University and her MBA from Harvard. And Neil is also co-founder of Vega Factor. Previously, Neil was a partner at McKinsey and Company, CTO, and founding member of an award-winning tech startup and employee of several mega institutions. He studied engineering at MIT and received his MBA from Wharton. Welcome, Lindsay and Neil. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Employee engagement is a focal area for HCI in 2017. Lindsay and Neil are both set to keynote at our upcoming employee engagement conference in San Francisco, set for July 24th through the 26th. They'll team up for their presentation called Prime to Perform how to build the highest performing cultures through the science of total motivation, just like their book. At this time, we'll move into a question and answer session with Lindsay and Neil. So Lindsay and Neil, could you tell us how neuroscience is changing the way organizations view rewards and how that directly links to driving business goals? Absolutely. The question reminds me of the story that, uh, of an organization that we, we work with. This is a, a giant global B2B technology company. And they asked us to figure out why the culture of their sales team didn't feel very good. Uh, They said it felt like their clients didn't view them as trusted advisors. They would say things like it felt like the sales team was toxic to work with. So we started with trying to understand what do they do and how do they do it. First, this particular sales team had fairly high pressure quarterly goals. Second, they didn't really believe in what they were doing as a team. And third, they never really developed their skills. If anything, skill development was replaced with pressure. Now, here's how all this played out. First, salespeople would never actually help each other. They would hoard knowledge. They wouldn't teach each other. The organization had unknowingly incentivized knowledge hoarding. Uh, which should have been played as a team, a team sport they were playing as individuals, uh, like children swarming a soccer ball. Worse still, we started to look at the performance of the sales team. And as we charted it out, 90% of their sales occurred in the last month of every quarter, and then usually at a 20% discount. Their clients knew that they were on a quarterly bonus plan because they could feel the pressure coming off the sales team. That meant that the sales team would never be looked at as trusted advisors. If anything, their clients viewed them in a transactional relationship. These clients, usually Fortune 500 CTOs, would pull all their purchases together to the end of each quarter, 
and negotiate a deep discount when these sales folks were under great deals of pressure. The knock-on of all of this was worse cross-selling, less customer trust, uh, higher working capital issues because of how lumpiness their sales were, uh, low utilization of their fulfillment teams because of how lumpiness the sales were, and fundamentally, their salespeople were burning out. Now, all of this came from a system where it was less about learning, less about driving a mission forward, and more about building pressure. What they didn't realize is there's a different way to think about this, and all of this comes from the latest and greatest in neuroscience. But if I had to make this super simple, just imagine you had two people working in the sales team. One was a missionary who fundamentally believed in what they were doing, and the other was a mercenary who was only doing it because of the reward. Which of those two would you want as the steward of your customer, your most valued asset? Neuroscience is proving this all out, too, with a very simple conclusion. Why we work determines how well we work. And if someone is working because the work is its own reward, they will perform at a higher level. If they're doing the work because of the reward, you're going to get check-the-box performance or worse still, gaming and cheating. Our research in our book, Prime to Perform, shows you that you can build an organizational culture intentionally to give people the right reasons and take away the wrong ones. All right. Thank you, Neil. So what do you consider to be the biggest distractions or the most common mistakes organizations make that actually impede performance? It's a great question. There's two really common inhibitors of performance. To illustrate the first one, I'll go to one of my favorite experiments um, that was, or research, pieces of research that was done in Ghana, where researchers were trying to understand um, what people believed were the causes of accidents in their minds and their factories. The researchers would go up and ask people, what do you think was the cause of this accident? And when they asked people who were really familiar with the victim, who actually had a similar type of job, for example, or worked in a similar area, only 6% of them blamed the victim. But when they asked people who were not familiar with the victim's workplace, or who were several levels removed in the hierarchy, 44% of them blamed the victim. What researchers have discovered is we've got this, um, what they call a fundamental attribution error, or we, for short, we call it the blame bias, which is a bias to blame the individual for the culture or the outcomes that they have, rather than think about all of the systemic things around them that shape their culture. And as a result, we spend, as organizations, tons of time looking for the right individual or the right person. We spend 80% of our effort on recruiting, for example, rather than on creating an amazing culture once that recruit gets into the organization. We've learned through all this research that we have to spend much more time in developing a great ecosystem around a person, a great culture that enables them to perform at their best. The second big common mistake is not thinking about performance in a holistic way. When we began to really research what is a high-performing culture, we realized that we hadn't defined performance and that there were actually two types. The first is tactical performance, and this is your ability to stick to a plan. It's your source of consistency and scale. But the second type is adaptive performance, and this is how well you diverge from the plan. It's your creativity, your innovation. So, for example, if we take a very simple scenario, let's imagine that you're working at a Starbucks 
we interviewed a Starbucks manager and collected data on Starbucks in all of our research. And they talked about how tactical performance in a Starbucks is making sure that when you order your triple grande caramel latte in Los Angeles versus New York versus Tokyo, it tastes exactly the same. And they invest a lot in teaching people how to follow that plan. But the barista said adaptive performance is what makes Starbucks truly different from its competitors. He said that in his Starbucks, the goal was to make the store a true welcoming neighborly home, a home away from home for anybody in their community. And as a result, he would coach all of his baristas on how to find a really unique, creative way for them to connect personally with each and every customer that came in the door. He realized that he, that adaptive performance was what was going to be the, the critical ingredient for high performance. So as organizations, we often spend tons of time focused on the tactical. We build systems um, that intensely reward and punish whether you make your lattes the same way, uh, that everything needs to be predictable in the same way. But we don't always inspire the adaptive, the creativity, the innovation. Inspiring people to work for the right reasons results in both the tactical and the adaptive. All right, thank you, Lindsay. And for our next question, what makes a work culture ideal and how can leaders motivate employees to get there? The fundamental conclusion to this question, what is the science behind a high-performing culture, led to a concept known as TOMO or total motivation. This is fundamentally what Prime to Perform attempts to teach executives, CEOs, HR professionals, that there's this concept known as TOMO that is the psychological condition that leads to the highest levels of performance. So here's what that means. When an organization maximizes TOMO, what it's actually doing is it's making sure that every single person who's working there, the reasons why they work there are play, so love of the work, the work is fun to do, purpose, they believe in the work, they believe in what the work is trying to accomplish, its outcomes, potential, the work is improving them as individuals as well. When an organization maximizes those three motives, you get significantly higher levels of performance. At the same time, that organization has to minimize emotional pressure. So this is when you're doing the work because of shame, fear, guilt, insecurity, uh, economic pressure. It's when you're doing the work because of a stick or a carrot or inertia, where you're doing the work simply because you did it yesterday. If an organization's culture can maximize play, purpose, and potential, minimize the emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia, it is a high-tomo organization which it's been proven will drive higher levels of performance. If you're a leader and you're really trying to create these distinctive performance outcomes, as a leader, you have to ask yourself a simple question. Why are my people here? Why are they doing this work? Why do they do that task? Um, why do they show up at this meeting? And why are they saying what they're saying? What's their motive? If that motive is play, they, they're simply having fun purpose, they believe in what they're doing, potential, it's actually improving them. It's not emotional pressure. They're so afraid of how I'm going to judge them that they're doing things. It's not the economic pressure. It's not the reward or the, the punishment. It's not inertia. If I can create those conditions as a, as a leader of a team, I will get sustained, distinctive performance from the people that I work with. 
All right, thank you for that, Neil. And for our last question, how can HR leaders affect culture and help managers better align the workforce to business goals? One of the very first things an HR leader can do is to actually measure why their people come to work every day. There's a metric called TOMO, uh, short for Total Motivation, and it can be measured with six very simple questions. Um, What you'll start to understand is why people come into work every day. Is it that play, that purpose, potential, emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia? And we'll often discover really interesting variations between different groups in an organization um, based on the type of work that they do or their geography. And you'll Second, you'll actually understand which of these motives you need to increase in your system. Is it play? Is it purpose? Et cetera. After measuring TOMO, the next thing you can do is start to look at all of the different systems in your organization to see which ones are most aligned to TOMO. So, for example, uh, is your organization structure, your role design, your performance reviews, your compensation, your identity and purpose all designed to increase play, purpose, and potential? and to reduce emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. You know, culture is an ecosystem. There's no one silver bullet. But through the lens of TOMO, it starts to really unlock what, a, what an organization could be that where everybody feels that deep sense of purpose and that love of what they do every day. All right, thank you, Lindsay. And thank you both so much for spending part of your day with HCI and sharing your knowledge of the science behind great cultures. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And as always, we thank our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. Once more, don't forget to rate HCI on iTunes. We love it when you click five stars. If you'd like to dive deeper into employee engagement, register for HCI's Employee Engagement Conference just a few weeks away in San Francisco. Click the Attend a Conference button at the top of the page to learn more. For Nine to Thrive and all of us here at HCI, thank you for listening.